Simon. today when I was driving home from work I was like oh like I like it'll be nice to be in LA and see like the thousands of people yeah but I'm sure like there will be a few thousand people in L- in Salt Lake so it'll be yeah. nice to be like in LA and see that but like I was like oh but like I won't be with like Chana and Chris and Jordan but like at the same time it's good to go for Carl and, and like see Carl and then do all that stuff We'll, okay. we'll vid chat. And you know what? I'll Ooh, save some price snacks for you. We should FaceTime during it. That'd be so we fucking should. cute. Oh, my yes. fucking God. Oh, my That's fucking God. That's what we're doing. They, thanks, technology. Thanks, thanks technology. Facebook. <laughs> Although, I'm sure the towers where I where I am are going to be like, what the fuck? No, you're not FaceTiming. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, bitch, you want to FaceTime someone else at a different Pride rally in a different state right now? Yeah. You're like, ixhak to makmana, bitch. Like, <laughs> 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 like you're not getting through <laughs> um, well hello everybody hello. <laughs> welcome to anyways how's your sex life we are your pride hosts yes, i'm channa i'm Corey. happy pride happy pride time to be gay as fuck happy yeah, pride bitch. everybody yeah so like i am now i'm now a white claw and a shot in nice i am half of a second long white claw so, so I have to tell you, yes. we we made this Long Island from my all-time favorite cocktail cookbook, a recipe book. It's yeah. from the Vanderpump Rules from Tom and Ariana. Um, if you don't watch Vanderpump Rules, that's fine. There's a lot of drama going on with Vanderpump Rules right now. But anyways, this is literally the best Long Island I have ever nice. had in my entire life. Like, period. Wait, like, even, Corey, like, even like going to a place and yeah. having it? Yeah, this is the Whoa. best Long Island I've ever had in my entire Whoa. life. Period. So, Corey, just re- be prepared to cry next week yeah. when, when I give it to you because it's literally like, I'm like, oh, this is how Long Islands should taste all the time. Like, this is a real, like, delicious, dank, like Los Angeles, uh, yeah. Long Island. So, yeah, it's it's delicious. I love it. So, everyone, that, that that's all I have to say. Well, I'm glad is, you're enjoying that without me. You know. What? I'll probably post the cocktail recipe in our story um, in a few days. That would be cute. Ooh, it looks really good. That picture Jordan sent was really was really pretty. Yeah, Jordan sent Corey Much a picture. Much aesthetic, such wow. Yeah, and he was like, this could be you, but you a bitch. And he but sent I- Corey a picture of this beautiful <laughs> Long Island. Oh, my God. It adds 40 minutes, 40 minutes to the entire <laughs> night for me to drive down there and then come back up. <laughs> Not next e- week we'll do it. probably more. Well, no, 20 minutes because there's no traffic. 20 minutes. Next next week we'll do it. We just need to but start yeah. early next week. Yeah, we just need to be on top. But, yeah, just like if, if, I, wasn't, if I wasn't going to L.A., I'd come up. Or, or I'd yeah. Yeah. I was like, oh, I um, just need to work more. Well, okay, I have one quick announcement before yes. we get into your affogato pride fact. Yes. Um, listener stories are due, everybody, by next Wednesday. Next so Wednesday. by okay. what what's that date on Wednesday? June something? Mm-hmm. June 
17th. June 17th, for one month away from my birthday. June 17th, send us your stories. You can do it through our email, which is ahyslpodcast.gmail.com. You can do it through our Instagram, which is ahyslpodcast. You can do it through, I don't know, Facebook, Pornhub. Write me a letter. I don't not, care, but send it to Twitter. us somehow. Just not Twitter. <laughs> just literally not Twitter, but anywhere else. Send us your stories. You have until Thursday. Yes. That's all. Or wait, no, till so, Wednesday. Or, sorry, right? Wednesday. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, oh, Wednesday. I was like, fuck. <laughs> yeah, sorry. Today's Thursday. We normally record on Wednesdays, but since today's Thursday, it's tripping yeah. me up. So that's why, yes, by Wednesday, send it to me. Also, just and like, that would be great. Second announcement, personally, I'm going to say is like what we were just talking about at the beginning that I probably edited like a little bit halfway through, so it might not be clear. Um, most cities, I'm maybe sure, at least Salt Lake and for sure LA, those two cities. So I'm sure other cities are doing it. Um, this weekend is there's pride marches go look at them for your city but they're pride marches that are focused on black lives matter um so it's just like a black lives matter march that is done with a like pride flair to it and instead of doing pride this this year we are doing uh black lives matters pride uh, black lives matters marches as sorry already drunk (laughs) Black Lives Whoa. Matter marches as a um, as a like alternative or just like not even as alternative, just like as a real pride because the first pride was a riot. It was the Stonewall riots that I have gone through before. Um, yeah, that's so June fourteenth. Everybody, yeah, June fourteenth this Sunday. Um, when you this this will come out tomorrow. We're recording this on Thursday actually instead of Wednesday this week. Like so this so go look online and just like go on Facebook and ask around and look for people. Um, it'll be a Black Lives Matter march, but it'll also be like a Pride march at the same time. But just focus on uh, people of color or queers of color. I'd probably like to say that'd be probably more appropriate. Um, so go look and see if it's it's this 14th for your for your city. If not, I'm sure there'll be another weekend or another Sunday that it's done on this month. And also just to know on Friday the 19th is June 19th, which is an important date for uh, people of color or for blacks specifically for african-americans um and there's definitely going to be a march in your city on june 19th so go out and support black lives matter movement that's all I have now to, say. to keep you guys safe while you're you know protesting and being all cute with civil disobedience make sure you wear closed toe shoes in case you gotta run yes. from the motherfucking cops if you have tattoos cover them even though it's hot as balls cover them to be safe just in case shit gets wild and and cops can like use your tattoos yeah, as an identifier you out and just yeah yeah. For example, in Salt Lake, police officers were going to all these tattoo artists and uh-huh. tattoo shops to try to pinpoint protesters with specific tattoos. Obviously, none of the tattoo artists gave the information away because, like, lol, cops, good luck getting something out of tattoo From artists. From a tattoo artist. <laughs> but anyways, so make sure you cover your tattoos if you can. Uh, make sure to wear closed-toe shoes. That's definitely the most important. And wear a goddamn mask, mask. because of COVID, y'all. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I was about to say if you didn't say it. I was like, I'm going to wear a fucking mask. <laughs> And, yeah, do that. Oh, and one uh, quick, quick little note, just from like a a Chana safety standpoint. There's gonna be like a lot of people like you know giving out waters and snacks and things like that. If you get like a water or a drink and the seal is broken, don't drink it just in case. Just don't. I mean, unless so, there's Molly in it. <laughs> but there could also not be, and they could get you in trouble. So very true. Uh, so yeah. So if if you get handed a free water bottle or free drinks, you know, just be careful. And even though you want to trust everybody around you, 
you know, just still check, make sure that seal is actually sealed and there aren't any like noticeable like tampering on your yeah. water bottle. Just I to mean, keep most people there are just wanting to help out and be like, maybe somebody needs food. Maybe somebody's going to get some heat stroke. So I'm going to bring some water for them. That's all yeah. positive. But yeah, there's saying, also pieces of shit out there. <laughs> yeah. And the reason I'm saying this is because I just saw like a, a Instagram post about it where someone was handing out free waters at some rally somewhere. I don't remember because I'm tipsy right now. But um, the water bottles were tampered with. Ew, so fuck that. Just be careful. Stay safe. Go, you know, go be safe while we say fuck the police and down with the system. Yeah. Go vegan. Okay. <laughs> <Cool>. Go vegan. <laughs> um, okay. So let's get into my uh, faggot fact for this. For yes. This week. Okay. So um, also like mini announcement, I guess. Um, if y'all remember from last year, I would also do faggot facts a little bit longer during Pride Month and do um, my. So that would make my like supernatural segment a little bit shorter. Um, that's basically the same thing is already happening. Last week wasn't, was sort of an exception to that rule. This week, my, my supernatural segment really isn't much shorter than it usually is, but it's a teeny bit shorter. Whereas my faggot fact is considerably longer than I've been trying to do or than I've been like aiming at doing just because it's pride month and that's how it should be. Uh, this week I am doing it on, uh, Bayard Rustin. Um, I, I believe it's called Bayard. It might be Bayard. I'm sorry. I, I, I listened to actually Barack Obama when he – okay, to that later. But I listened to him pronounce it, and I listened to other people pronounce it, and I got both Bayard and Bayard uh, Rustin. Uh, so I'm not exactly sure how to pronounce that. Sorry. Um, what did Obama say? <clears throat> how did he pronounce it? Um, off the top of my head, I can't really remember. It's a 50-50 chance, so I'm not even going to try because I'm, I'm drunk. Uh. But I literally listened to the speech when he gave or uh, when he posthumously presented Bayard Rustin with the Presidential Medal of Freedom, which is the higher highest honor you can give a civilian. Oh, yeah, exactly. It's the highest medal. So um, so Bayard Rustin was an LGBTQ and civil rights activist best known for being a key advisor to Reverend Martin Luther King Jr. That hey. is why we're talking about him today. Rustin was born in Westchester, Pennsylvania, raised by his maternal grandparents, who were relatively wealthy, um, reports say. His grandmother was a Quaker and was also a member of the NAACP. So throughout his uh, life, as he grew up in the house of his grandparents, there were multiple NAACP leaders that were visiting the home. And as a result of this, he got involved in activism really early, especially against the Jim Crow laws in the 30s and the 40s and the 50s. One of the first documented realizations Rustin had of his sexuality was when he mentioned to his grandmother that he preferred to spend time with males rather than females. So this is really cute. The grandmother replied, in quotes, I suppose that's what you need to do, end quote. <laughs> it's really cute. Cute. That's super cute. So in 1932, Rustin entered the Wilberforce University in Ohio. He was there and he was very active and very positively active in the campus. And I say that because... The next thing I'm going to say is he was expelled from Wilberforce in 1936. So probably as a senior or as a junior, he was expelled after organizing a strike against the campus. And then he went to the Chenye of University of Pennsylvania, which is basically just the University of Pennsylvania now, I believe, or something like that. Um, so after graduating, Rustin moved to Harlem in 1937 um, and began studying at uh, the City College of New York. Uh, there he became involved in efforts to defend and free the Scottsboro Boys. So, if you don't know who the Scottsboro Boys are, they're the they are nine young black men um, in Alabama 
who were accused of raping two white women. There are documentaries. I think there's even a dramatized film about this. Yeah, it, that, that's a rabbit hole to go down, and we're not going to go down it. But if you would like to be, one, woke, and two, shocked at racism in our country, go look at that. And go look at that, the entirety behind the Scottsboro Boys. And get um, sad. And literally get sad. Like, it's really, it's really horrible. Um, during this time, he was also involved in the Young Communist League, uh, which he left after a couple of years. And he was also involved in a, an organization of Quakers, which I will name in just a second. But remember them really quickly. So he, he graduates from uh, college, goes to Harlem, starts to get involved and defend the Scottsboro Boys. Then he gets involved in the Young Communist League and leaves about a year or two later. And then gets involved in an organization of Quakers. Remember, again, his grandmother was a Quaker. So because of this and this whole, this is like his youth, Rustin's personal philosophy is said to have been inspired by combining the Quaker pacifism with socialism and the theory of nonviolent protest that is popularized by Mahatma Gandhi. That is very important, again, because we also, uh, I'm sure you've heard over the years that that is something that Martin Luther King Jr. is uh, associated with. And we'll get to that in a second and the importance of Bayard Rustin in that connection. Um, so let's go to the civil rights movement. So Rustin served as an unidentified, uh, unidentified member of the American Friends Service Committee. That is the Quakers committee that I'm talking about. So he was a part of a task force to write the Speak Truth to Power, a Quaker search for an alternative to voice. This book, The Speak Truth to Power, was published in 1955, and it was basically written by him. Um, this was one of the most influential and widely commented upon pacifist essays in the United States. Basically, it analyzed the Cold War that was going on and the American response to it and recommended a nonviolent solution to the Cold War so things wouldn't get crazy. But you know, <laughs> you decide if we listen to that or not. <laughs> <laughs> this is America. Uh, uh. <laughs> <laughs> right, literally. Um, or so moving on a little bit, we're actually going back in time a teeny bit. Rustin was uh, arrested in Pasadena, California in 1953 for sexual activity with another man in a parked car. Originally, he was charged with vagrancy and lewd conduct, but as like sort of a, to get a lesser charge, he pleaded guilty of sex perversion it was basically labeled as a sex offender um oh, God. because sodomy was officially referred to in california as wasn't wasn't consensual and was sex perversion uh for this he served 50 to 60 days in jail uh there were different accounts of this i don't know exactly the number of days in jail that he spent so this is sort of like the first time that his homosexuality had come to public attention um, he sort of made a name of himself, especially because or like being involved in this Quaker stuff and being involved in the Young Communist League, and then and then leaving. Rustin resigned from this uh, from the Friends uh, Service Committee, and then uh, because of his convictions, and then it is also that because of these convictions that Rustin decided to stay behind the scenes during his involvement in the civil rights movement specifically with his involvement uh, in the advisorship of Martin Luther King Jr. So everything that I'm about to like get into now about Martin Luther King Jr., he specifically decides and orchestrates him being like not named as much as possible just because one now the public and there's public you know records of him being gay or at least you know doing homosexual acts in a car with another man. Yeah. You know, and he got arrested for that in 1953. 
So this next part of his involvement with Martin Luther King, I'm going to read specifically from the civilrights.org when it talks about, um, it's like an article that talks about Bayard Rustin getting the Presidential Medal of Freedom. And I'm going to just it, basically read verbatim from the website of his involvement with Martin Luther King. Because I, I just wanted to do it. It's, it's written very well and it's, it's very, you know, it's better than I could write it myself. It says, in 1947, Rustin helped organize the first freedom rides for the cause of racial integration. He was arrested one among the more than 20 times he was incarcerated for his civil rights activities and spent 22 days on the North Carolina chain gang for participating in those rides. This is, this is me saying this. Um, so reason why I went back to that is because he basically is on a chain gang, uh, for 22 days in North Carolina that I just said, this actually gets him to, while he's in prison, sort of make that better for the prisoners he basically convinces the wardens or policemen or whatever oh, man. to make that better and then turns it once he gets out of prison he turns that into a sort of like i don't know if it if the correct word is legislation but it eventually changes like the state or city's level of how they deal with chain gangs and making it more humane i think at a federal level almost that's crazy so this pushes him into the in into the limelight of civil rights so i'm going back into the civilrights.org what they said he says understanding that striving for freedom was a global struggle Rustin visited India in the 1940s to learn more about Mahatma Gandhi's principles and his anti-colonial movement. That is after he gets out of prison and the chain gang. Rustin directly applied what he learned when he went south in 1955 during the Montgomery bus boycott against segregated seating. There, he advised Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. on the full meaning of Gandhi's pacifism, which barred the use of violence even in self-defense, something King came to famously and effectively embrace. After the boycott's triumph, Rustin convinced King to bring his civil rights struggle to the entire South. In 1957, Rustin played a major role in organizing King's Southern Christian Leadership Conference, an organization of Southern black pro pro pastors pressing for civil rights. So that ends that, that quote. And this is back to me. In a culmination of Rustin's civil rights activism, he worked with a man by the name of A. Philip Randolph, who was also a black man, on the March on Washington movement starting back in 1941 that went all the way to 1963 when it occurred. The March on Washington movement was basically for an end of racial discrimination along with end of racial discrimination in employment, as well as the desegregation of the military. So as a personal, mm -hmm. as like a, as a note to that, as a little footnote to that, there is a lot of contextual history slash backstory to how that takes so long, how I said 1941 to 1963. There's a lot of story that you can go to about A. Philip Randolph and the dude we're talking about right now, Bayard Rustin, um, sort of deciding that they want to do a March on Washington that is solely focused on uh, employment like you know like racism in employment as well as desegregation in the military um the combination of these two guys with martin luther king jr sort of tie it into civil rights and that's when we get the pictures that if you search the march on washington movement you see like you know between the um lincoln monument to in the reflection pool to the uh dc monument um, you see like those thousands of people just there listening to Martin Luther King. And that's where we get the, on August of 1963, 
that's where we get the I ha- iconic I have a dream speech. Ooh, chills. Yeah, like literally. <laughs> so literally this guy that we're talking about, Bayard Rustin, a gay black man, is literally half the reason why that happened. Because, him, or like maybe you could say a third if we want to include Martin Luther, Ke- Martin Luther King in it. Um, basically, it is literally, though, it's given to the A. a Philip Randolph and Bayard Rustin as being the organizers of that exact moment. Cool. Um, yeah, so fucking go him snaps everywhere. Yeah. Um, so let's let's move on a little bit more. Um, and let's focus on his personal life and his gay rights activism. So Davis Platt, who is Bayard's partner from the 1940s, set, during the 1940s, said, I never had any sense at all that Bayard felt any shame or guilt about his homosexuality. That was rare in those days. Rare. Yeah. Um, that, that's like a direct quote from him. So while mostly like history or the story of Rustin's life focuses on the fact that he was a gay man and a super out gay man, the truth about that is like a little bit more complex than just saying that. In 1986, Rustin was invited to contribute to a book that titled In the Life, a Black Gay Man Anthology. And there's a, there's a specific quote of him declining this offer. He basically explained, like paraphrasing it, he basically explains like, hey, I was never like super out and I only came out because I was outed because of the, of the incident that I talked about where he was arrested. And he yeah. was like, I don't think it's appropriate for me to claim this. And most of my activism was focused on civil rights and not on being a gay man. Um, so he really sort of declines this about being like super out about gay rights. He does a he does a great amount of good things for uh, gay rights, regardless of his of his quotes. But uh, just to like sort of give like you know full like clarity in his life, and especially if he says that himself, like I think that's important yeah. to say. Um, Rustin didn't really engage in gay rights activism until the 1980s. He was personally urged to do so by his partner of the time, by the name of Walter uh, Nagel, I believe. Um, who said that quote, I think that if I hadn't been in the office, haven't hadn't been in office at that time when these invitations from gay organizations came in, that he probably wouldn't have done them. So he like even like this his boyfriend or his like lifelong partner was like, I don't think that he would have gotten involved in gay rights activism if I wasn't already an important person in, in office. Um so also a fun little fact about them is due to lack of marriage equality at the time in the 80s, Rustin and Nagel basically (laughs) solidified their partnership by Rustin legally adopting Nagel in 1982. Oh, my God. Isn't that cool? So Nagel, I didn't actually do this, blah, 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 just a second. Wow. So Rustin was like his real daddy. (laughs) You literally was his real daddy. (laughs) Um, so yeah, uh, that wasn't super uncommon at the time. A lot of gay um, queer people would do that. Um, but yeah, this is like a little fun fact. So other than his civil rights and queer activism that I talked about, during the 1970s, 1980s, Rustin served on many human- humanitarian missions, such as aiding refugees from communist Vietnam and Cambodia. On August 24th of 1987, while on a humanitarian mission in Haiti, he died of a perforated appendix at the age of 75. Oh, man. So what he are did you doing so with much with his life? life. Yeah, what are you doing in your life? Um, I'm drinking a Long Island on a Thursday talking about ghosts. <laughs> <laughs> um, the 
uh, Chen, uh, Chenye, the, the, what do you call it? The university that he went back, that he went to after he was expelled from the first one, posthumously awarded him with the Doctor of Humane Letters degree in 2013. And in 2020, Gover Governor Gavin Newsom pardoned Rustin for his arrest in 1953. Um, this is where it says that it was 50 days and not 60 days. So I'm not sure exactly what happened. But they basically pardoned him of, of serving that jail time and ever having that misdemeanor or whatever it would be on his record or, or ever being registered as a sex offender. In this speech or this event of him pardoning Rustin, Newsom noted that the LGBTQ people were unjustly punished for their sexuality throughout history and that this was totally unwrong, totally wrong and unjust, and that's why he did it. Um, and then we're going to go back a teeny bit to 2013 to end on a really, really, really somber and important note. So on November 20th of 2013, President Barack Obama posthumously awarded Rustin the Presidential Medal of Freedom. This is the highest honor that a civilian can be awarded in America, in the United States of America. So here are Barack Obama's words that he said. Now, early in the morning, uh, the day of the March on Washington, the National Mall was far from full, and some in the press were beginning to wonder if the event would be a failure. But the march's chief organizer, Bayer Rustin, didn't panic. As the story goes, he looked down at a piece of paper, looked back up, and reassured reporters that everything was right on schedule. The only thing those reporters didn't know was that the paper he was holding was blank. <laughs> uh, he didn't know how it was going to work out, but uh, Bayard uh, had an unshakable optimism, nerves of steel, and most importantly, a faith that if the cause is just and people are organized, nothing can stand in our way. So for decades, this great leader, often at Dr. King's side, was denied his rightful place in history because he was openly gay. No medal can change that, but today we honor Bayard Rustin's memory by taking our place in his march towards true equality, no matter who we are or who we love. So that is, that's, that's my faggot fact. Sorry if it was a little bit long, but like it needs to be serious and we need to know that not only are there like important queer people in our history, but that there are also important queer people of color in our history so yeah yes bitch yes bitch and you know what simone has something to say oh my god simone, simone. she's purring that's all oh. she's like she i purring. agree full-heartedly she started purring during obama's speech because she knows she knows <laughs> she's woke she woke okay um yeah that's my fact fact well, great. Let's jump into my spooky scoop. Well, so last week I, I gave you guys some STD facts that blew Corey's mind and blew all of your minds, I'm sure. So then I was like, hey, I'm just going to talk about STDs for the entire month of June because why not? Because STDs can yes. be spooky. So today I'm going to be talking about HPV. Huzzah. Now, all this information I am reading is from Planned Parenthood's website, um, go support your local Planned Parenthood. They're the best. And, okay, let's talk about HPV. So HPV stands for human papillomus virus. It's the most Yuck. common sexually. <laughs> it's the most common. <laughs> 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 what, one sentence in. Yuck. 
<laughs> I'm already like, no. <laughs> it's the most common sexually transmitted infection. HPV is usually harmless and goes away by itself, but some types can lead to cancer or genital warts. Fuck. Now, there are more than 200 types of HPV, and about 40 of them can infect your genital area. Um, Wait, there's well as- 40 things trying to infect my genital area? Well, there's already there's over two hundred like versions of HPV, of <laughs> yeah, that are trying to fuck? attack specifically Corey's vagina. Oh my um, god! And my penis, as well as your mouth and throat. Fuck. So, these kinds of HPV are spread during sexual contact, obviously, but other types of HPV, such as like common warts, like hand warts or plantar warts on feet, um, you know, those are you know contracted through walking in dirt and shit like that um not sexually transmitted whoa um so, so you won't get like a planter for a planter wart from like foot fucking someone yeah, you i mean just maybe get, you, you get planters warts from just existing yeah from yeah existing or like i have a teeny like tiny small wart on my thumb you're like on my penis i'm like the, okay that's been here for that's been on my it's like it's like not even 3d it doesn't even poke out of the skin but i know it's a little wart it's fine yeah, I have uh, some on my knee since I was like twelve years old. Oh or 13 yeah, years old. yeah. I had a best friend who, when I was little, who had and, that as well. And my dermatologist has been trying to get them off for thirteen years now, fourteen years, and or thirteen years, still going strong. So, yes. yay! Uh, Thanks. Anyways, works. going back to genital HPV. So genital HPV infections. I'm sorry, Corey, but are very, very common. No. In fact, most people who have sex get HPV at some point in their lives. What the fuck? Most people with HPV have no symptoms and feel totally fine, so they usually don't even know that they're infected. Oh, my God. And And most genital HPV infections aren't even harmful, and they just go away on their own. But there are some kinds that can lead to the genital warts or certain types of cancer. So basically so what most, you're saying is because I'm gay and I'm sexually active, I have HPV. <laughs> or, you probably, or I've had HPV. <laughs> or you probably have had HPV and it's probably just gone away on its own. Like, Fuck. I probably have had HPV and it's gone away on its own. I don't know. Fuck. Apparently everyone pretty much has. Now, there are two types of HPV, type 6 and 11, that causes the majority of cases of like genital warts. Planned Parenthood says in quotes, warts are no fun, but they're considered low risk because they don't lead to cancer or other serious problems. Warts are no fun. Thanks, Dr. Planned Parenthood. And at least a dozen types of HPV can sometimes lead to a cancer, though two in particular, type 16 and 18, lead to the majority of the cancer cases. Oh, my God. So the ones the ones that can cause cancer, those are known as the high risk. The ones that just called warts are low risk because if you get warts, that doesn't mean you're also getting cancer. It's two different types so of HPV. So preemptive question, Chenna, because I'm freaking yeah. out. If you get <laughs> tested for HPV, will they be able to tell you what strand you have? Um, I think so, but it, it, I'll get through the testing with HPV. In okay, a okay, okay. So let me just let me just continue rolling through this. <laughs> I'm like, this Jenna, can you test me for HPV right now? <laughs> <laughs> You're like, Doctor Planned Parenthood, please. <laughs> now, cervical cancer is the most commonly linked um, cancer to HPV, but HPV can also cause cancer in your vulva, your vagina, your penis, your anus, your mouth, and throat. Damn. Now, there is no cure for HPV. Sorry, everybody. But there is a lot you can do to keep HIV from having a negative impact on your life. You said there HIV, vac- HPV. 
HPV, sorry. There are vaccines that can help protect you from getting certain types of HPV. HPV. Um, genital warts can be removed by your nurse or doctor. Um, High-risk HPV can usually be easily treated before it turns into cancer, nice. which is why That's regular good. pap slash HPV tests are so important. Um, a pap is like a pap smear. Um, if you um, have a vagina and you're over like... 18 years old you've probably had a pap smear by now if not immediately call Planned Parenthood and go get a pap smear you should get a a pap smear once a year anyways oh really okay um yeah so and then while condoms and dental dams don't offer perfect protection they can help lower your chances of getting HPV now you get HPV through like sexual skin-to-skin contact with someone who has it, and you can get it when your vulva, vagina, cervix, penis, or anus touches someone else's genitals or mouth or throat, um, usually during wow. sex. I mean, obviously. I mean, maybe you're just like, I don't know, shoving someone's penis down your throat for non-sexual reasons. I don't know. You do you. But usually during <laughs> sexual reasons, <laughs> you will get the sexual HPV Doesn't things. Doesn't the involvement of genitals make it sexual? <laughs> That's true. It could be like the most. Maybe it's like a really platonic. Like, can I see if I can shove your penis down my throat? I I don't know. Can I just set my balls and dick in your mouth? This is like literally fraternity boys have had this conversation. Holy shit! Holy shit! They're like, no homo. But can I like put my penis down your throat? No homo. I'm not gay. You're gay. Oh my god. Now, it's important to note that HPV can be spread even if no one comes, and even if a penis doesn't go inside <laughs> the vagina, anus, or mouth. Thank you, Planned Parenthood. Thanks, Planned Parenthood. Now, <laughs> now, again, and this is a direct quote from Planned Parenthood. All of this is. Like, I like, yeah, Planned Parenthood could obviously say it better than me because I ain't a doctor. I am Dr. Google. HPV is the most common STD, but most of the time it's not a big deal. It usually goes away on its own, and most people don't even know that they have it or that they they have had it. Jesus. Like, remember that most people who have sex will get HPV at some point of their lives, so it's not – you're not supposed to be ashamed or we afraid of getting it. just don't want four strands. Yeah, you just don't want the cancerous strands or the or genital the warts genital strands. Warts but the genital warts ones are low risk, and they, just, they can just cut those warts off. It's I don't want the, genital warts. Yeah. Well, I'll talk about herpes next week. That'll be fun. (laughs) Fuck. So most people with HPV don't have any symptoms or health problems. And and like I have been saying, sometimes it can cause genital warts. That's really the only, like, way you can see, like, a physical symptom of HPV or herpes. Um, And some of the types of HPV, like I said before, cause cancer. But there really aren't that that, that many symptoms. So that's why HPV can be a little bit scary because you don't really know until it's almost too late or until you happen to get tested. And then they're like, yo, bad news. <laughs> you have the scary HPV. <laughs> the worst <laughs> HPV you could have. Right. So this is why regular checkups are so important. In many cases, cervical cancer can be prevented by finding abnormal cell changes that, if left untreated, could develop into cancer. So a pap test or a pap smear can detect those abnormal cells in your cervix. Um, A pap test doesn't directly test for cancer or even HPV, but it can discover those abnormal cell changes that are likely to cause uh, caused by HPV. These problem areas can be monitored by your nurse or doctor and be treated before anything turns into, you know, scary cancer. So again, like that's why pap smears are so important if you have a vagina because uh, it can catch cervical cancer fairly early on. Dr. Chana? 
Yes, Corey. Do you, do you know why? It's I'm wearing a- like a slutty nurse <laughs> outfit right now. I'm like, yeah. I'm like, hey. I'm like, I'm like yeah. why? Why is it called a pap smear? What is I that actually, mean? I, I, I don't know, but I can tell you what happens. Okay, just <laughs> so, tell me what happens. <laughs> so you go there and you like you sit in the you lay down on this uh, like a doctor's table and they have those like stirrups. Stirrups. Uh huh. Your ankles in hot, and your hot. your vaginas flash to the doctor and the doctor walks in. They snap the gloves like Frankenfurter and they grab this long ass Q-tip and they're like, "I'm going to rub this Q-tip in and around your cervix." Is and that like, okay? <laughs> you're like, okay, and then you sit there, you're trying not to make eye contact because you're like, this person's like yes. so deep into my motherfucking pussy, and uh, yeah, they're they going like, into your cervix. Yeah, so they go in and around like your cervix. They get all like that fun. Juices Where is your and cervix in relation to your inside of vulva. you? Yo. <laughs> so is okay. your cervix deeper than your vagina, or is the cervix part of your vagina? Yeah, like, like the cervix is like the. Hold on, I'm just trying to. We I feel like we've had this this exact vagina conversation. I don't know before. exactly where the <laughs> cervix. I'm asking Google. Where is the cervix? <laughs> Oh my god, Corey! The cervix. I'm just excited for what what you're about to tell us. <laughs> so, oh, okay. cute! Oh, it's deeper than v- the vagina. Yeah. So there's like the like the the little vagina tunnel, right? It's like hey oh. Yeah. And then the cervix is like the little wall that's yeah. like thou shall not pass, but it does let you pass. Yeah. It's like, like hello to the penis. penis. Let's make a baby. Oh so wait, so like, the cervix will open up to the penis. Well, it's not like it's like closed. It doesn't like like swallow the penis. But like probably which, the thrusting action of a penis makes the I mean, cervix it makes, spread. Yeah, it makes it like wider so you can okay. like fit a penis okay. in. I get that. Now, if, if you had a vagina, I would just tell you like grab your finger, stick it up. You, you can feel like your cervical wall and you can feel Whoa, like your cervix. That's crazy. So anyways, they like go, they touch, you know, your insides, make sure everything's okay. Sometimes they will like physically put like their finger inside of you to make sure like there's no cysts or anything like that. Like I had to have that done to me a few months ago when I had that like crazy uterus pain out of nowhere. Uh huh. That was fun. Anyways, Yay. from that pap smear, um, they go, you know, do some doctor science on it to like look at the cells and whatnot. And then they give you a call if, if something's wrong and you just pray that you don't get a call from Planned Parenthood. Yep. Or you're like me and they accidentally call you. So you have like a stage <gasps> 11 freak out. And then they're like, hey, Sorry. so we need to talk to you about your test. And I was like, <gasps> and like I saw the nurse had like hesitate. And she was like, oh, everything looks great. Oh, my God. <laughs> I was like, Fuck you, nurse. Okay. <laughs> I was like, thanks. I was like tears, holding tears back. I was like, I have cervical cancer you're and like, breast hold, cancer. You're like holding Simone's paw. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. I was like, first stomach cancer, now this. So, yeah. <laughs> Anyways, going back to HPV. Now, there isn't a test for high-risk HPV in the vulva, penis, anus, or throat. And the HPV itself doesn't have symptoms. If it becomes cancer, then there might be some symptoms. For penis cancer, um, some symptoms include changes in color or thickness of the skin of your penis or Whoa. a painful sore that might pop up on your penis. Ooh. Anal cancer might cause anal bleeding or pain or itching or discharge or just as uh, like significant changes in your bowel movements oh wow um vulvar cancer which is cancers of the vulva might show symptoms like changes in cut co- and changes in color and thickness of the skin of your vulva um there may be chronic pain itching or maybe a lump 
Uh, throat cancer might cause a sore throat, ear pain that doesn't go away, constant coughing pain or trouble swallowing or breathing, weight loss, or a lump or mass in your neck. If you develop literally any of these symptoms, go see your doctor right away. High-risk HPV can cause normal cells become abnormal. These abnormal cells can lead to cancer. You know, that's like cancer for you. High-risk HPV most often affects cells in the cervix, but it can also cause cancer in the vagina, anus, penis, like all the fun places I talked about. Now, the good news is most people recover from HPV infections with no health problems at all. Like, we don't know why – this is from Planned Parenthood, not me. We don't know why some people develop long-term HPV, HPV infections, pre, pre-cancerous cell changes or cancer. It's, like, it's kind of pretty random. That's interesting, yeah. Um, but we do know that having another disease that makes it difficult for you to fight infections make it more likely that HPV will cause cervical cancer. Smoking cigarettes also makes HPV more likely to cause cervical cancer. So there's like, there's the a variety fuck? of factors that have to be going on for HPV to turn into maybe to turn into something that's high risk or turns turn into something that could be cancerous. Uh, it's it's kind of kind of rando. Um, like I've said, there's no cure for HPV. Fun. But it usually takes several years for cancer to develop and abnormal cells in the cervix can be detected and treated before they turn into cancer. So, again, nice. this is why it's very important to go get a pap smear because if you get your yearly pap smear, you'll be able to catch that shit pretty fast. Now, the difference between HPV and genital warts is genital warts are harmless growths on the skin of your genital area. Uh, most genital warts are caused by two types of HPV, which I mentioned earlier, 6 and 11. Genital warts look like fleshy soft bumps and they can sometimes resemble miniature cauliflower they're usually painless and they can be treated and removed just like the warts you get on your hands and feet now because genital warts can look like common bumpy skin issues for example if you shave your genital area it might look like razor bumps one day but it's actually genital warts instead only your nurse or doctor can diagnose and treat your genital warts so don't just like assume you have genital warts like go to your doctor Fortunately, warts aren't dangerous and they do not lead to cancer. So that's why these types of HPV that cause genital warts are low risk because you're not going to get cancer from the warts. You're just going to have warts and they might cause irritation, discomfort, but it, you know, you can just get them removed. If you do like have a genital wart right now and you have sex with someone like you will give that person HPV as well. So, you know, go get tested. Yay. Now we're going to go through um, getting tested. So you can get a pap smear or HPV test at your doctor's office or a community health clinic, the health department, or your local Planned Parenthood. What's up? Um, you can get a pap smear. Definitely go do that 100%, like I've been saying this whole time because it's so important because cervical cancer is not fun, everybody. Um, how often you should be getting a pap smear is entirely dependent on your age and medical history and the results of your last pap or HPV test. So, like, for me, for example, I'm, like, a 25-year-old relatively healthy woman. So, like, I get my pap tests, like, once a year. Um, so, yeah. So, th- most of you will probably be once a year, but it might vary. Don't go by what I have to do. Go talk to your doctor because they'll know what you have to do. Um, and your doctor will let you know, like, your testing schedule. Testing for other STDs isn't usually part of your regular checkup or gynecologist exam. You just remember to ask for it. And be honest with your nurse or doctors. They can help you figure out which tests are best for you. And when you're getting tested for H- for any STD, it's always important to remember to not be embarrassed. Like your doctor is there to help you and not judge you, mm-hmm. and they just they're they're there to support you. And they've seen it all. <laughs> they've seen and heard it 
all. So whatever you're telling them is not a surprise and they're trained for it and their whole job is to help you. Mm-hmm. And so never be embarrassed or feel like feel sh- ashamed at all of getting tested for any STD because everyone does. It's totally normal and your doctor has heard everything. Yeah. I would like love to hear some of the shit these doctors oh, have yeah. heard. I'm sure you can go on Reddit so and listen to that shit, read that shit. <laughs> right. So if you end up having a high, some high-risk HPV, there are some um, treatments. So there isn't like a specific treatment for HI- HPV in general. But if you have high-risk HPV, it could cause, as I've been saying, abnormal cell changes um, that will lead to cancer. So if you are showing abnormal cell changes, there are going to be further tests um, and or treatment, including a colposcopy which is a which is a procedure to look more closely to the cervix to see if there are precancerous cells there's cryotherapy which is a treatment to freeze and remove precancerous cells from the cervix or there's leap which is loop electrosurgical excision procedure which is a treatment to remove precancerous cells from the cervix with an electrical current wow um and there is no cure for hiv or sorry hpv oh man all these sound so similar but there are plenty of things you can do to stay healthy and safe, and it's totally preventable. There are vaccines that can prevent high-risk HPV types um, and the and types of genital warts. Most of the time, your body is just going to fight it off themselves because it's not that serious. But there are vaccines. And if you don't know if you've had an HPV vaccine, go ahead and call your state health department because they should have a list of all your vaccines and find out. And if you're between the ages of 16 to 45, you can go get a vaccine. To get a vaccine, you can go to Planned Parenthood or your doctor or call your state's health department. Figure that shit out because you can get a vaccine, y'all. That's all. So that is my spooky scoop on HPV. HPV. Next week, we'll talk about herpes. No. (laughs) (laughs) Let's get into my supernatural segment today. Yes, daddy. Yes, which is titled haunted mansions so <gasps> like I have, disneyland <laughs> yeah sort of like disneyland but not disneyland <laughs> is it me or is the room getting taller <laughs> um oh i love that room that was so i like that that's so cute what we're going over today are basically two different mansions that are haunted so i have like two little mini haunted stories for y'all so the cute. first one is the haunted uh, mud house mansion so the Mud House Mansion was built in Ohio, just east of the city of Lancaster. Um, it is said to have been built sometime between 1840 to 1850, but there are also accounts that say that it was built into 1870s, and there's also accounts that say that it was built around 1900. So yay, haunted shit! Like, and there's also yay. an account that said it was actually built in 2005. Right? So there's, <laughs> there's like so that's such a long, uh, big date, like fuck facts date range. Yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, they, so this was created between 1850 and 1900, like during a huge 50 like years. Like literally within 60 or 50 year span. Um, <laughs> it is. It does have a specifically Second Empire style that makes it seem like it was mostly built during the 1870s. Okay, so let's Ooh, just say cool. 1870, whatever you wanted. 1869. Okay. Yeah. Duh. <laughs> So in 1839 or 1852, yet again the year is uncertain. The wow. <laughs> rug, the rug family, Christian and Eleanor Rugg, 
or R-U-G-H, whatever, however you would pronounce that. Rug. I was about to say, I'm like, that's a pretty lame last name. <laughs> if your last name's Rug. Rug, or whatever you would say. Um, they You're purchase. Like, oh, sorry, go. Sorry. No, it's okay. <laughs> I'm just making fun of their last name. Like, what's next? Your last name's Carpet? Like, right. I don't understand. <laughs> Um, so theirs was per- uh, they purchased the property, not the house, but the whole property, uh, from two dudes uh, in 1839 or 1852, whichever, who fucking knows. So in 1919, <laughs> the property was then sold to Henry and Martha Hartman. So Henry Hartman died in 1930, and then the Bye. property was inherited by his daughter, Lulu Hartman, uh, who was then married off to a guy by the name of Oren Mast. Her descendants, so the descendants of Lulu and Oren, were are still own the land today, and that person goes by the name of Jenny Mast, who for years I don't know how they kept the Mast name, but they did because you know spooky sto- stories and legends. Who for the re- years watched and dealt with, and even has prosecuted those that were trespassing on her land for an act which is known as legend tripping. <laughs> Whoa, that's what I did on acid. <laughs> right. Same. So we did in Provo Rock Canyon for like Yeah. Fuck yeah, Provo. <laughs> um so Chana, do you know what legend tripping is? <laughs> I mean I can only imagine what legend tripping is. <laughs> Lol. I just like go back to me like alone in the Moab desert, <laughs> like walking around aimlessly. Yeah. Yeah, cut to me looking at my hands and going like, oh, God. I'm like, are you guys tripping? Because I'm tripping. Because I'm fucking tripping balls. Cut to Bakes texting his uh, sister. I'm on acid. I'm on acid. <laughs> okay, so legend tripping is a for- like is an academic for- formal thing. So it is a name bestowed by folklorists or anthropologists that talk about adolescence, uh, an adolescent pras- a practice, sorry, um, which contains actually sort of an elements of rite of passage, which usually um, are nocturnal pilgrimage that are made to specific sites, which are known to have alleged sing- scenes of tragic, horrific, or possibly supernatural events or hauntings. So it's basically just like urban legend where it's like, oh, my God. So like for a perfect example of our of Utah Valley is the Benjamin house. So there's a Benjamin house that's in the like southern parts of the, of this valley, which are about like are in the boonies or like the, like the the if you all don't know what boonies means, like they're in the like uh, country uh, of a city. And it's like, hey, everyone go to the Benjamin house because there's this like these legends of these hauntings or like a demon haunting it. And so there's sort of this like rite of passage or pilgrimage as a teen to go to it and then dare everybody to go inside. So you, you get what I'm talking about. Like you get it. Yes. So but apparently where is this Benjamin house. This is news to me. Oh, no. Yeah. Elena told me about it. Um, One. Uh, I think it was the time. I think it was like during it was right after drug tub. Memories. Yeah. Memories. <laughs> it was right after drug tub. Um, and she was telling us about it when we were like driving around one night and I was like, oh, that sounds fucking terrifying. I would love to go, but like I would, I'm not going inside. <laughs> we should go before you leave Utah. No, fuck that <gasps> shit. I'm not getting stalked by a demon. <laughs> we're going. What a good way to leave Utah though. You get fucked <laughs> by Benjamin a demon house? right before you yeah. leave. <laughs> um, so yeah, this is, so apparently what we just described, there is a t- academic term for it, which is called legend tripping. 
whatever the fuck yes. that is. Yeah, that's such a weird like term for that, but okay. So these legend tripping and trespassings went on so long for Jenny Mast and so frequent that she even hired guards to guard the land and house and, and send people away. And then she eventually got so fucking fed up that she demolished the house in September 21st of 2015. She's like, fuck this shit. <laughs> so Jenny Mast is a fucking bummer. <laughs> <laughs> Boo, Jenny Mast. Boo, Jenny Mast. Like, let people She's... fucking legend trip in your fucking mansion, okay? Yeah, yeah. Let people take acid and see ghosts in your mansion, damn it. <laughs> So let's talk about the Mudhouse Mansion hauntings. So there's the oldest story that is really ridiculous and involves uh, slaves and it's racist. So we're not going to talk about it, especially since Ohio was never even a slave owning state. So like, fuck that. The next uh, big like main legend stuff is about a family that moved into the uh, Mudhouse one day. Um, They were seen unloading their belongings, as the legend tells. Um, and then after the last box went in, the last family member walked in, the entire family disappeared behind the closed doors of their house. Ew. Neighbors presumed the new arrivals simply like preferred to keep to themselves. Um, they were sort of hermits. Um, but after not seeing ac- any activity from them for uh, a few weeks, one neighbor went out to the house to investigate, and all he or she could see was the figure of a woman dressed in white standing on the second floor window or standing at the second (gasps) floor window. No. The figure was reportedly just standing there staring at them. The following day, the neighbor checked again and again, and over the next 10 days would see the same figure just standing at the window staring at them. The only thing they could identify is that this was a woman staring at them. Absolutely not. Bye. Uh, bye. <laughs> after, the, after the first day, I'd be like, bye, not my problem. <laughs> I'm like, y'all see The Conjuring? I'm like, this shit is from The Conjuring. Right? I'm like, where the fuck is the laundry line right. for that one scare <laughs> fuck moment? That. Fuck that <laughs> shit. <laughs> um, on the 10th day, the uh, this neighbor finally called the police. And when they came to investigate, they were met by a, a extremely ridiculous sight. Um, all of the five family members, minus the mother, were hanging lifeless and dressed in white nightgowns in the middle of the, like, entryway. Like, we walk in, and whatever entryway or, like, foyer there was, they were hanging from the banisters of the room. Um, the figure which the neighbor had been seeing was the mother, and she was not, uh, uh, and she was not standing in the window, but was, in fact, hanging there. For several days and weeks. Ew. Oh. Yeah. Oh, that's horrific. Isn't that disgusting? Uh, from this story, local tales uh, claim that the house is the original home of the of Bloody Mary. And that the house, oh. in fact, was haunted by the a woman who killed her children, husband, or everybody who was involved. Um, so basically what I'm saying is, like, from this story that I told you about the family members hanging... Uh, over time, from this legend, it sprung another legend sprung that this was the house that Bloody Mary Mary originated from, which we actually sort of know is infallible. Um, Bloody Mary came from something else referred or like that has to deal with the disease. It's fine. I could probably do a, a whole thing about it. It's fine. Um, we'll move on. Um, so since this event, many people have accounted um, visiting the house and seeing the woman in one of the second story windows. Um, people will account visiting the house uh, before it was demolished in 2015 
And once they get inside the house, uh, like they will approach the house and they don't really see anything or hear anything. But the second they step into the lower first floor, they immediately start to hear footsteps of multiple people on the second floor walking around. No. Like, fuck that. Fuck that fucking shit. She's, fuck that the, shit. They're like, fuck you for buying this house. This causes a huge fight. Why the <laughs> fuck do you make us move out here? <laughs> um, also, on top of that, they hear the basic bitch shrieks, moans, and cries coming from the house at all times of the day or night. Both basic. the guards and uh, what's her name? Is it Sherry? Was it Sherry? I forget her name. Jenny. Jenny. Jenny Mass. <laughs> Jenny Mass wow. has reported cries and moans and shrieks from the house at all times of the day or night, as well as the guards have reported this as well. Um, people have also seen orbs and shadow people, etc., moving Ew. in and around my mouth. <laughs> you know, in the house, the, the the moans and streaks. You always expect that to happen at night. But if I was just like eating a sandwich in my kitchen at like one p.m. <laughs> oh my god, yeah. And I and I just heard like ah! from like the next picture. Room. This you and your family go for like a nice little dip in the pond or the river nearby. <laughs> You go out and sit on the back of your porch in a picnic and you're eating those like dank ass sandwiches with chips inside of them. And yes! like you and your husband have a mint julep and the kids yeah. have lemonade and then, or an Ar- <laughs> you have Arnold, Arnold Palmer's and your kids have lemonade. And then you just hear like the most blood curdling shriek <laughs> at like 2 p.m. <laughs> yeah. You're like, it's just Bloody Mary in the fucking living room. You're like, God damn it. Ruining my fucking perfect summer day. <laughs> Oh my god. <laughs> okay. So that is the um the mud house uh mansion. So fuck yeah. You know In what? Ohio. I like the haunted mansion. I yeah. wanna I wanna hear a ghost just fuck me up at like noon. That's <laughs> <laughs> like hilarious. Oh my god. <laughs> I would be so annoyed. <laughs> I'm like, I'm just trying to do the goddamn I'm like, dishes. I'm just eating my drinking my fucking Arnold Arnold Palmer. Like, fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm tanning in my backyard, you asshole. <laughs> um. So the next mansion is called the, uh, the Liu or the Liu, uh, family mansion. So, there, uh, this three-story Baroque mansion that was built in 1929 used to be the residence of a great landlord family, the Liu family. Um, this is in Taiwan. Um, when this was built in 1929, it's quite common. It was quite common for wealthy families to hire a few servants. Uh, so obviously, the father fell in love with one of the maids and then slept with her. Cause duh. <laughs> yeah. Cause fucking duh. Um, unfortunately, the uh, wife found this out and started torturing the maid whenever possible. Um, she would just like you know, like do any little thing that she could think of, just like mentally, physically, uh, just like make this maid distraught. Finally, unable to bear this um, physical mental torture, the maid threw herself into the well of the garden, legend says. Uh, since then, the family never found its peace as every night from the, from uh, from her death or from her suicide, um, when the uh, husband and wife fell asleep, this uh, vengeful spirit of the maid would come back and appear, appear sorry, at the foot of their bed. Whoa. Um, there are reports of her re- appearing at the bed, and every night she would either scream, cry, yell, or scratch, or, or beat the wife um, for vengeance Ooh. of her death and, like, of her torture. Um, as a result, the Liu family, or the Liu family, sorry, uh, I don't know how to pronounce that correctly. I'll call Liu. I'll just say Liu. Um, was forced to move um, while the mansion was left emptied and left behind. So let's get to the hauntings. After they left the old Liu mansion, 
this family was reportedly or legend has it that they were either killed by a car or suddenly died in another like random ass accident you know enter anything in your mind there Ooh, um, you can be creative with this right mm. <laughs> what do you think happened channel what do you think happened to this Liu family hmm. Okay, they, like, packed up all their shit in the mansion really fast. Like, we gotta get out of here. It's getting really scary. Get in the fucking car. Go, go, go. (laughs) They pack up. They get in the car. It's pouring rain for whatever reason. There's, like, crazy-ass scary music going on. They start driving away. And they start hearing this really scary noise behind them. Maybe, like, a woman yelling or something. Oh, fuck. And the husband who's driving looks behind. He gets distracted. Then, bam, he hits. The car goes off of a embankment into a river they all slowly drown to death as the car sinks to the bottom and they're screaming and gasping for air and the last thing they see is the woman the face of the woman looking at them laughing oh fuck fuck yeah channa that's exactly what happened fuck everybody else's story (laughs) yeah fuck you that was good bravo channa thank you Okay, so legend also has it that whenever people visit here in the middle of the night they will always hear the shrilling howls of this of this maid that has killed herself. And it is also said that you can visit this place. You will put yourself in danger by doing so. Ooh. However, most things really don't happen to anybody unless you approach the well that she killed Ew. herself. So if you ah. if you approach it or if you specifically look in it, not only do you risk being pulled into it and killed you also risk having years and years of bad luck. And that depends on how close you get or if you even look into the well. So there's also later stories that after the Chinese Nationalist Party retreated from or to Taiwan, an army stayed here for a while. And it is reported that while they stayed at this abandoned mansion, um, some of them killed themselves due to, an uh, uh, in quotes, an incurable homesickness by the Chinese Nationalist Party. It is said that they were killed because of intense grief that, like, you know, like, supernaturally overcame their mental state. And she sort of, like, it is assumed that the maid transferred her grief um, into them to the point that they killed themselves. Oh, man. There's also reports that uh, Japanese soldiers that were here during the Second World War um, that won a misty moonlit night. Uh, there was one guard that was on watch while the rest were sleeping, and he said, reports seeing a misty woman-like figure near the perimeter of the grounds. He calls out and asks who they are or if they're an enemy and tells them to go away, but this misty figure approaches and then disappears and pops up in a different place and then disappears and pops up in a different place again. This Ooh. gets the Japanese guard extremely, like, you know, Turned disturbed. On. <laughs> Turned on, both. <laughs> He's so, a big old boner. So he begin. The reports say that he begins uh, firing on the perimeters of the ground where the this figure was popping up and then disappearing and then reappearing. Um, naturally, this wakes up the rest of the troops um, as they also start shooting into the night. And then legends have it that by the time morning arrived, all the soldiers had killed themselves and massacred oh. one another for friend through friendly fire. Oh my god! Yes. Yikes. So you can still go visit this place today. The pictures of it are beautiful. They're like the like derelict building is so beautifully covered in roots and vines. It's like it's awesome. It's like fucking porn. It's it's so beautiful. 
people there are reports that people or couples will come here um and i didn't actually plan this uh but i was just gonna do haunting mansions but they basically are doing legend tripping uh uh these oh, couples will cool. come together and they will write their names on it and then put like on stones and then place the stones in various parts of the ruins of the building to say that they had done this and come here together um or you know, like groups of friends and stuff like that i didn't know i didn't realize that was like you know another connection between these two stories but legend tripping is super involved in this in taiwan so yeah there you go that is the louis or liu family mansion that's cool yes the entire time i just i just kept on thinking of all of these instances occurring inside of the haunted mansion ride at disneyland right because anytime <laughs> some of this haunted mansion all i can think of is the motherfucking haunted mansion from disneyland <laughs> <laughs> all right well let's take the mood down oh Let, let's, mood down let's stop talking about disneyland and let's going and let's go we into had murder fun. we had fun now we're not but you know what's fun about mine is mine actually takes place in Anaheim, California, which oh, is where fun. Disneyland is. Oh fuck yeah! So you know, thanks Disneyland. So Speaking while of, while you're listening to whatever Chen is gonna about to tell us, just imagine thousands Disneyland. of people having the most fun of their lives just 20 miles away. Yeah, getting coronavirus and Disneyland. <laughs> you know, I I share a birthday, my birthday with Disneyland. Very cute. Oh, my so, God. Really? That's, that's the a, opening day in 1954? Yeah. Yes. July 17th, y'all. Uh. Is and it 54? Actually, I don't know the day. Oh, the year. I think it's like it's like 51 through 54. Let me check this. I did a I did a bio, I did a um, history thing on it uh, because I'm because I'm gay as fuck. Like in like sixth <laughs> grade. They're like, what do you want to do? And I was like, Disney. <laughs> See, They're like, I OK, my... gay boy. <laughs> so you did like Walt Disney when uh-huh. I, did I did Walt my Disney. biography in like fifth or sixth grade I did on Johnny Depp <laughs> so I could talk oh my about God, his, yes. his cheekbones and his hotness like I literally did my like a huge essay on Johnny Depp I failed it's and it's it's 55 my bad close though so yeah close my though. happy birthday me in Disneyland Aww, and um Dis- Chana, that's so fucking cute I know and Disneyland's reopening um July 17th by reservation only mm. so if you want to go to Disneyland make a reservation but i don't think you should i think you should stay home <laughs> and wear a mask and yeah. be safe i think like so, yeah Continue. germ central yeah i it will be Corey and i actually talked about this today at work it will be like at least a year until i feel comfortable enough to do anything like that because it's just so yeah. germy like there's no way they can disinfect that shit fast enough there's like so many hell people. no it's so gross but anyways so my story takes place in anaheim california this is May 28th, 1980. So May 28th, 1980, it was a typical day for 32-year-old Dorothy Jane Scott. Yeah. She dropped her son off at her parents' house and went to a work meeting. At the meeting, however, she noticed that her coworker, his name is Conrad Bostrin, um, he was looking pretty awful. <laughs> he was looking sick as fuck. <laughs> and his I mean, arm considering had- his name, yes. Yeah, Conrad Brostrand was looking not so hot. And he had this long, like, red streak on his arm, and his arm was swelling, and he was looking, like, obviously sick. And she looked at him, and she was like, you okay? And he was like, yeah, I'm fine. Well, he wasn't fine. And during the meeting, he was just looking fucked up. Like, there was obviously something wrong, and his arm was starting to swell like crazy. So Dorothy, 
she looked at him. She's like, yo, we need to take you to the emergency right the the emergency room right now uh, because something's not right. Um, let's go. So she took Conrad um, to the UCI Medical Center in Irvine. Um, and another coworker, her name's Pam Head, um, she joined them to go just to take care of Conrad. So they all climbed into Dorothy's 1973 white Toyota station wagon and they drove to the hospital, first stopping at Dorothy's parents' house just so she could let them know um, that they needed to watch her son for a little bit longer because this is before cell phones existed. So she had to like go do that. Wild. Now at her Damn. parents' yeah, house, um, she switched out of a black scarf into a red scarf. Um, she kissed her son goodbye, told her parents she loved oh them. Oh my God, is she left. disappearing? Once at the hospital, uh, it was determined oh that Conrad was bitten by a black widow spider. And while he was being treated for, for that, Dorothy and Pam were just in the waiting room, you know, chatting, reading magazines, eating snacks, doing what you do while your friend's getting treated at, in the ER. Um, the only time that Dorothy left Pam's sight was after Conrad was released with his prescription. Oh, my prescription. God. She's disappearing. And Dorothy made a quick trip to the restroom. This is around 11 p.m. Pam then accompanied Conrad to, like, the hospital pharmacy to fill his prescription. And while they were doing that, Dorothy decided to bring her car around the front for them because she didn't want to make Conrad walk all the way into the parking garage. Now, after filling the prescription, you know, it's only a couple minutes, Conrad and Pam walked outside expecting to see Dorothy's car waiting for oh them. Oh, my God. But the car was nowhere to be seen. Fuck. It was, a, it was a little odd at first because it should have only taken her a few minutes. But they were like, you know what? Like, she had to go to the bathroom. Maybe, like, she's doing her thing. We don't know. Maybe she's, like, doing something in her car. Like, whatever. It's Dorothy. Like, she's like she's going to be here any second. I'm so – I w- love it when people go missing. It's so fun. <laughs> so, <laughs> so they waited and waited and waited. And slowly they started becoming concerned. First annoyed, naturally, because if you're just waiting outside for your friend, you're going to get a little pissed off. But after a few minutes, they're like, okay, this is a little weird. We're getting a little worried now, so let's actually just go to the parking garage and see if she's okay in her car. Or, you know, let's just see what the fuck's going on. So they started walking towards the parking garage, and then out of nowhere, the duo saw Dorothy's car speed out of the parking garage with its brights on. They started waving their hands to try to stop the car, but then the car took a sharp right, flipped off its headlights, and sped off and disappeared into the nighttime darkness. <sighs> Immediately, they just thought that Dorothy what? had an emergency with her son or something important came up because it was really unlike Dorothy to just, like, r- roll by them and be like, bye, and just, like, no explanation. <laughs> she's like, fuck you, bitches. Yeah, she's like, fuck your spider bite. Fuck your chicken strips. <laughs> fuck your chicken like, strips. <laughs> they knew that Dorothy would never leave them stranded at the hospital. So they were like, hey, and remember, this is, like, pre-cell phone. So they're like, we're just going to wait for her to return because it's Dorothy. She's going to come back and pick us up from hospital. She's not going to leave us, like, stranded here. Like, all of our shit's in her car anyways. Like, she's not going to leave us stranded here. Two hours later, oh they just waited in front of the hospital. No sign of Dorothy. So they're like, okay, this is now officially weird. <laughs> weird as fuck. Jenna, Which, like, if I saw your car drive off in the middle of the night at the hospital, I would not wait for two hours. <laughs> Yeah, that's like f- for the fucking reels. 
Yeah, I am like way too much of an anxious person. Like today, for example, Corey. <laughs> how texted how me. how could anybody convince you and I if that if we if if the, if you and I and a third person saw like Chris or Jordan or Tyler's car just speed off? How could they convince us to wait for two hours? I would be like, they're fucked. They're fucked. I would get so hysterical immediately. I would right? not be any help because I'd be so hysterical. Holy shit. I am way too anxious to ever be in a true crime story. <laughs> That's just what it is. Like if, if some podcast 10 years from now talks about a story that involves us, they will say, and this crazy ass bitch, Shauna, was like so hysterical for no reason. They never reason. get your name right. They'll, know, they'll call me a different name every single time oh they say God. my name. <laughs> so anyways, they waited two hours. Dorothy didn't show up. So they're like, okay, well, let's go ahead and call her her parents because they were watching Dorothy's son to see if she was okay, if her son was okay, like what was going on. So they called up the parents. Hey, parents, have you seen Dorothy? And the parents said, no, we haven't seen her since you guys stopped by earlier tonight. Fuck. So immediately as they said that, like the four of them just had this horrible feeling. Like something is is wrong. Something is not right here. And just this feeling of dread just came over all over their their chest. Their titties. <laughs> their titties. <laughs> <laughs> dread came on their titties. They're like, wait, say it again. She isn't she's not here. <laughs> oh. oh my god. <laughs> A disappeared case. <sighs> then about <laughs> then about four hours later, at four thirty in the morning. A white 1973 Toyota station wagon was found burning in an alley about 10 miles away from the hospital. This was Dorothy's car, but no sign of Dorothy. Dorothy's Dorothy's gone, y'all. Dorothy is not in Kansas anymore. (laughs) Yeah, she's not. Holy (laughs) shit. Dorothy is not in Kansas anymore. That's a great podcast title. (laughs) Dorothy Jane Scott was born on April 23rd, 1948, to Jacob and Vera, Vera Formiga, uh, to Vera Scott in <laughs> Vera Anaheim, Formiga. California. <laughs> uh, Dorothy was an all-around good kid. She was like a really modest Christian girl, never rebelled against her parents, never really dated. You know, we all know that girl that would go to like old, old people homes and like sing Christmas carols and shit. <laughs> like, that's her. <laughs> like, she's a good, she's so much, she's so much better of a human being than I am. It's hysterical. But I was you also know? cooler than her and I was a Mormon in band. <laughs> like, yeah. But she, she's a good fucking person. She's a good person. Now, the only man that she ever really dated steadily got her pregnant. And so in 1976, Dorothy gave birth to her son, Sean. Right after she gave birth, the father of Sean, her boyfriend, was like, I'm out. And he dipped, never heard from again. (laughs) Bye. He says it like that. I'm I'm out. He's like, yeah, so I'm out. (laughs) Dorothy moved in with her aunt, Shanti. In Stanton, California, which is about 20 minutes away from her parents in Anaheim. And she also worked in Anaheim. Uh, she worked as a back office secretary at Swingers Psych Shop, which is a really psychedelic hippie shop. They sell, like, lava lamps and, like, love beads. That's and fun. like And, you know, like, whatever you imagine would be in a hippie's house or bedroom, they sell it there. And it was also, like, the other side of the business was Custom John's Head Shop. And this is what where they the? sold uh, water pipes, a.k.a., you know, pipes that you smoke weed out of. Lol. 
yeah, that's I guess that those places are called head shops, which I didn't know. Oh, but anyways, no idea. Yeah. Both businesses were jointly owned, so she worked as like a Lol. secretary. No for pun both intended. Of them. Oh, I, <laughs> she worked as a secretary in the back office. So she was never like around customers or anything like that. The only people that really saw her at work were her coworkers. Now, Dorothy was the exact opposite of the businesses that she worked for. She was a devout Christian. She has never smoked weed ever, ever, ever. She never partied and she was pretty quiet. Now, even though she wasn't about the 420 blaze at life, she was so loving and kind to her coworkers. She Aww. genuinely did not judge them or did not judge anybody. Like she was always there for all of them. She was a great, she was a fucking great person. Like if you want to be a great person, like she's a great example of what you should strive to be. So it's really sad that she, Aww. what happened to her. <clears throat> now her friends, family and coworkers described her as the most dependable, kind and compassionate person who loved her son more than life itself. Later at like her funeral, her brother would describe her as someone that, would always just give. Like, if you needed a shirt, she would give you the shirt off of her back. If you needed, like, a ride to the hospital, like Conrad needed for the Black Widow bike, she would just drop everything and do it. Like, she was just such a compassionate and, and great human. Now, in later 79 and early 80, Dorothy began receiving phone calls from an unidentified man. What She the told her fuck? family that she recognized the voice, but she just couldn't place it. For months, it was, like, at the tip of her tongue. Like, I know this voice. Like, how do I know this voice? But she could never, ever figure out who it was. And this mystery caller would call her every single day, sometimes multiple times a day, on her work and home phone. He would even call her at her parents' what home the phone fuck? number. These phone calls ranged from his, you know, professing his undying love to details of what she did that day to what to down to what she was wearing that very second oh my god is it the bitch that bounced and then it got worse the caller started threatening her oh god. and started sexually harassing her and started saying things to her about you know very specific activities that she did that day by herself no for example like Corey, if i was the stalker i'd call you and say like today i saw that you wore your carp your magic carp tank top and yeah. you walked into the warehouse today with a cup of 200 calorie egg whites and yeah, a it coffee, was 170, <laughs> 170 calorie egg whites and a coffee. <laughs> and then you worked for, you know, six hours and you went and worked out for three hours and you got a haircut and like down to like every single Fuck. detail of what she did down to like, oh, I know you got your coffee with almond milk, like shit like that. Fuck. Like this stalker would call her and just tell her. Like minute by minute, exactly what she was doing, what she was wearing, probably the thoughts that was going through her mind, talking about her son, things like that. I mean, it's not okay. And then he would flip and start saying, I love you so much. Then he'd flip and say, I want to taste you and kill you and and do all these things to you. Like, this is scary, scary stalker stuff, y'all. Now, Vera, she is Dorothy's mother. She recounted in quotes from Vera. One day he called and said to go outside because he had something for her. She went out there, and there was a single dead red rose on the windshield of her car. What the fuck? <laughs> that quote was actually the reason why I did this whole entire segment, because that disturbed the fuck out of me. What? Like, one, that's disturbing, and then two, like, what a fucking piece of shit. Right? Yeah, it's scary. Um Vera also described a call that took place a week, one week before Dorothy disappeared. 
and that the call just completely terrified her daughter. The unknown call, the caller told her in quotes, when I get you alone, I will cut you up into bits so no one will ever find you. Oh, my God. Dorothy no longer felt safe at home, no longer felt safe at work or at her parents' house, anywhere, because anywhere she went, he would know. He would know. He would call her, and he would just taunt her. It was like a game to him. It was sick. And so she decided, fuck this. I'm going to take matters in my own my own hands. If this dude wants to fucking fight, I will fight. Yeah, so she bitch. enrolled in karate classes, and she started looking into buying a gun. Um, this was a week before she disappeared. She thought that if this stalker was serious, um, then she needed to know how to protect herself if ever the situation prevent- presented itself. Oh, fuck Unfor- yeah, girl. Unfortunately for Dorothy, it was too late. She disappeared a week after that final call. Now, the phone calls from Dorothy's stalker did not stop after she disappeared. What? The first call was made to her parents, Jacob and Vera's. Oh, this about- piece of shit. Oh, yeah. He, the stalker called her parents about a week after Dorothy disappeared. Vera was home by herself, and she answered. The mystery man, the caller, said, Are you related to Dorothy Scott? Vera responded, yes. The caller then said, I've got her. And then he just hung up. Police had been searching for Dorothy so far. They had nothing, nothing in her at all. So this phone call was the very first clue that they really had in the case. The very first, like, potential to lead to something big. So they wanted to be really careful with it. So they told Vera and Jacob to keep this case as quiet as they possibly could and not to go to media about this at all because um, it could negatively in fact impact yeah. the investigation. However, after a full week of no progress, Jacob and Vera were getting impatient, as you would if your daughter was missing and suddenly you're getting phone calls from the stalker. So Jacob gave up and he called the Orange County Register, which is a newspaper in Orange County, and he told them about his, da- his daughter's disappearance, and he was just talking to them about the phone calls and things like that. So the paper ran a story about Dorothy, and a few hours after they ran the story, the managing editor, Pat Riley, received a phone call from <sighs> the stalker guy. He said in quotes, sobbing, I killed her. I killed Dorothy Scott. She was my love. I caught her cheating with another man. She denied having someone else. I killed her. The man on the phone then went into detail about the night she disappeared, providing details that were only known to the police and to the parents, such as she was at the hospital because her coworker Conrad has been by a black widow. She was wearing a red scarf that night. Uh, All those like details. Yeah. He said that she called him from the hospital and that's how he knew all these details, which wasn't true because Pat told the police I was with Dorothy literally the entire time. She never once made a phone call or got up and talked to anybody. And, like, this phone call that the stalker guy just completely baffled Dorothy and all the friends. They told authorities they had no knowledge of Dorothy having a boyfriend, let alone time for one with her two jobs and her son to look after. Like, Dorothy's abductor was clearly, like, living in a fantasy world. Like, he just, he thought that they were together. They weren't. So that's why he, like, lashed out and, abducted her because at this point they did think that maybe she was abducted they don't know if she was killed yet they don't know it's only been like a week but police knew like the key to figure out what happened to dorothy was this mystery caller and they figured he would call again so they set up wiretaps at dorothy's parents house and they tried tracing his calls and they were right he did call again in fact he called every single wednesday at the same time for four years what he called and always talked to Vera. 
and he would just taunt her about her daughter, just torment her, just torture her. He would say things like, I have her. She needs her mommy. She misses her son. I raped her. I killed her. I hit her body. You'll never see her again. She screamed for her son when I killed her. I love her so much. Why does she make me do things like this? Shit like that. Bad Damn. guy. It this was extremely shit. traumatic for Vera to answer these calls, but she did it every single Wednesday, praying that the police would be able to track the call, praying that something would come out of it. But the caller was too smart. He wouldn't stay on long enough for the calls to be traced. But Vera still still held on to the hope and endured years and years and years Aww. of phone calls from her daughter's killer just to try to catch him. So it's like every Wednesday at 1 p.m., she knew, I have to listen to the man that killed my daughter. Oh, my God. Four years went by with no trace of Dorothy until August 6th of 1984. A construction worker discovered a dog, dog and human bones side by side about 30 feet from the Santa Ana Canyon Road. The bones were partially charged, charred, making detectives believe that they were placed there before brush fire in 1982. So they've been there for at least two years. Now a turquoise ring and a watch were, was also found. The watch had stopped. On May 29th, no. 1980, at 12.30 in the morning, one no. hour after Dorothy was last seen. Fuck. The remains were transported to Orange County Coroner's office, but as soon as the police talked to Jacob and Vera and showed them the ring, they knew it was their beloved daughter, oh, Dorothy. One week later, the remains were positively identified as Dorothy Jane Scott. However, due to the severe deterioration of the bones, a cause of death was impossible to, to be determined. Um, in fact, they could only identify her based off of dental records. Now, the discovery of Dorothy brought a sense of relief amongst her family and friends, coupled with you know overwhelming sadness that she really was gone. But they were also grateful to finally have closure in terms of what happened to her because they just didn't know for years. So on August 22nd, a memorial service was held to celebrate Dorothy's life. Now, after the news of... Like the discovery, Dorothy's body appeared like in the newspaper and the, you know the media. Vera again received a call Wednesday, same time, and all the stalker killer said was, "Is Dorothy home?" And then he laughed and then hung up. Oh fuck! Phone calls continued and continued and continued until one day the caller fucked up and accidentally called at a different time, and this time. Jacob answered instead of Vera. The killer hesitated to speak and then hung up, and he never called the Scots ever again. For the rest of Jacob and Vera's life, they searched for their daughter, for their daughter's killer. Sadly, Jacob passed away in 1994 and Vera in 2002 without ever knowing who murdered their beloved daughter, <sighs> without ever seeing justice. However, her son, Sean, who she loved more than life itself, remains dedicated to finding the truth about who murdered his mother to this very day. And that is the story of Dorothy Jane Scott. Damn. <laughs> she just, like, holy fuck. So he, like, presumably, like, jumped her in the car parking lot. Like in... Yeah. Yeah. And then so took her and then cut her up into little pieces at least. Yeah, because when they found her remains, it was, like, the partial remains. So it was, like, her thigh bones, her hip, and her, like, head and, like, arms and stuff. Yeah. And they and 
next to it were dog bones. Yeah, and like if you if you there's so many Reddit threads and yeah. like and like internet detective sleuths, you know their interpretation but, of this case and what yeah. could, what happened. But really, at the end of the day, like we don't know, and a lot of that is because like it took place in the 80s, where if this happened today's day and age, we probably would have solved yeah, it. Yeah, you'd have at least some cam or camera or something like that. Yeah, but that's it, all things yeah. and, and the parking garage, and like there's theories down to like who was driving the car that uh that. Pam and Conrad saw was she the one driving the car with with the with the killer next to her with the gun or was it Man, the killer how, she was already knocked it, out? So who's the killer? Is it just assumed that it's the dude? It's the stalker guy. That's what everyone assumes. No, no, no. But is this, are we? Do we assume that the stalker guy is the husband that bounced? No, it's not. So they did go into that. Um, they checked with him. One, he lives like in a different state, way far oh, away, okay. and, and his alibi was like airtight, and they haven't spoken in years. Like it wasn't like. A super negative. I'm gonna dip. It was yeah. like a I I'm out. Like he had no motivation. It's been you know four years since they even broke up. He had like an airtight alibi. The only potential suspect they really had is this guy named Mike Butler, and he worked like across the street from the areas the places that she worked at. But the only reason he was really like a suspect is because he was kind of a weird dude like he just wasn't like a Mm -hmm. normal guy and so like some people point the finger at him but then a lot of people argue like well the only reason you're pointing finger at him is because he's not a normal person like he's kind of an oddball and that's not fair like just because there happens to be like someone like a little strange in the vicinity that happened to know her doesn't mean he's a killer he's just like kind of a weird dude (laughs) he's just like a quirky (laughs) guy you're weird her son, like Sean, does believe that it was this guy, but that's because there really isn't anybody else that the police could yeah. even remotely point a finger to. But they can't but even really point a finger to that guy. Something you it's said just, it was like that he, the guy, had mentioned to her specifically that it was like, "Hey, you like rejected me previously, right?" Yeah, but they. But all of her family and friends don't think that was real. They think that was part of his fantasy that he built up about her. Because that's what stalkers do, right? Is they build up this whole fantasy of of what of the of what's going on. Yeah, to like, like get them so, off or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, and they're so disconnected from reality. Where he probably did believe that they are a couple and they were in love, and maybe he saw her helping Conrad, and he thought she was like it's just like you, where it's like this random dude saw some pretty girl. Yeah. So it's. So Damn. it could be like completely like that. So that's why her family and all of her friends thought, well, that's not true. That's just part of his reality, his fantasy that he built up, that stalker's reality, which wasn't actually what was going on. It's scary, but no one knows what happened to Dorothy Jane Scott or who that stalker Aww. mysterious guy is. And the sad part is, like, if this case happened today, it would have been solved, yeah. solved with the technology that we now have. And again, like a lot of the true crime cases that I talk about that happen – you know, years and years ago, it's very unfortunate because we could solve a lot of them to this today if they happen yeah. today. So it's very sad that this happened ever, but especially sad that it happened during a time where we'll never know who killed Dorothy Jane Scott. We'll never Shit. know. We'll never know that the, the face behind that call. One thing that really struck out to me, though, or stuck out to me because I was reading so many articles, because this is actually a really fun case to like read through Reddit theories on, because uh-huh. everyone 
because everything everyone says, you're like, ooh, that's true. That could have happened. Yeah. But one thing that someone said that really stuck out to me is I mentioned when Dorothy was talking to this guy, she always knew that she heard the voice somewhere, but she couldn't put her finger like on it. Yeah. So when she f- saw him in that car park and he talked, just that moment when she realized that's oh who it was. Oh, my God. Ugh, or so like if awful. she even had that moment like maybe he just popped out of nowhere while she That's was like true. putting her Getting... keys in the in the door yeah and this is why i'm afraid of parking garages and, like, everybody chloroform <laughs> the fuck out of her or something yeah you know? yeah he could have ted bundied her like who knows and the fact that she was killed and like another interesting point that someone pointed out was her her watch stopped an hour after she was last seen so the stalker who like built up this whole fantasy about her finally had her in his grasp and he killed her like in within an hour. an hour yeah like that's so intense and so fast and so like Damn. It's, it's so scary like what she had to endure for that hour because one minute that's she so said sad. goodbye to her son and helped her friend and the next minute that's so crazy that gone. he was so stalkery that he like literally half of his life half of his life being awake was like following her yeah and he knew everything about her, and she didn't like it. Damn, it's, and they it, couldn't point out that man. Like he yeah. knew that she had to run to the emergency room. Yeah, and it's like some people like that's like a big point where everyone's like, "How does he know that?" Maybe it's a coworker, but police thoroughly investigated every single coworker, and it just it's not like they uh, just don't know. So what I personally believe is that he was probably staking out her parents' house because he knew that she goes there to pick up her son. And he probably saw her there with Conrad and Pam and probably heard, like, the somewhat frantic, like, he has a something's wrong with him. We got to go to the ER. That's what I think probably happened. So that's mm-hmm. how he knew she was going to the ER. But I don't know. I have Jesus. no fucking idea. And no one knows. And no one will ever know. And it's so infuriating. And, ugh. Fuck. It's sad. Well, anyways, Chana, how's your sex life? You know, it's good. <laughs> it's, nice. It's a... Uh, I, I've been working like a lot, so that's been that's been fun. I mean, I'm I'm always working a lot though. This week has been a weirdly stressful week at the warehouse though, because we just have had all these huge deliveries that are supposed to come throughout the week, and like half the time we don't know when they're supposed to show up. So it's been like a very high stress week for me, not knowing like when the fuck ten thousand pounds Things of vinyl gonna show, gonna show up, up yeah. or like an eight hundred pound printer. So yeah, my my whole past week has been like one hundred percent work pretty much nice but i started rewatching avatar that that's Fuck fun yeah because you know it's jordan's favorite show in the world yeah such but, a good um, show. how's your sex life Corey? you have some fun stuff to talk about yeah so my sex life is this weekend i'm gonna go to la it's carl's birthday so i'm gonna go to his birthday party on happy birthday, saturday carl. happy birthday carl it, it is this it's on the 13th um so i'm gonna go to like a pool party for with him there's only like 12 or 11 people that are attending in their bubble and then we're gonna go to the la pride black lives matter march slash uh protest on the sunday which is the 14th sorry yeah so i'm super excited about all of that that's gonna be an awesome weekend very excited for that um, other than that, no, nothing like particular um, about anything. Protests are good. Black Lives Matter. Just getting behind that. I'm reading the book White Fragility, 
which is very eye-opening and interesting and important. I would uh, just like encourage everybody to listen to that book. You can't get it a physical copy of it on Amazon because it's like on extreme back order, but you can instantly buy the audio version on Audible right now if you would like to. Cool. It's it's only like a six and a half hour read, which is not that long at all for a book. Um, I usually I'll I'll listen to a chapter today because it's a lot to dissect and a lot to like you know take in um, and listen to. And I I'm sure like in the future I'll buy the books so that I can actually read it because it's like a little bit easier to like comprehend information when you have it in front of you instead of just listening to it. But yeah, it's yeah. really good. It's really eye-opening about just like systemic racism and like what what the real modern definition of racism really means right now. Um, instead of like when you know when when you hear people and black people say that all white people are racist, like it really breaks that down and identifies what that really truly means. And like it's not wrong. Like like the system is stacked against people of color and it's for white people and that's what real racism is is like a systematic pattern and um stuff like barriers that are put in place to like you know benefit white people and not benefit people of color we don't need to go like that's all i'll get into it but it's really interesting it's really important i think to listen to and read so yeah that's that's been it is just like getting getting a little woke and working and preparing for the weekend yes yeah well i guess our question for you guys is oh oops house (laughs) (laughs) your sex life bye bye guys see you next week